Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to debut the new episode of our podcast, Created Equal, a podcast about inequality, stories of inequality told through the lens of history and compelling narrative. Uh, Laura Weber Davis, the producer of Detroit Today, executive producer of Created Equal, will join me in the studio. We'll talk about this week's episode, which is about how the Attica prison riots of 1971 helped shape all of the legislation, the tough on crime legislation that we have seen prison in prison, millions and millions of African-Americans uh, over the last four or five decades. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that uh, at about uh, 9.45. But up front, I want to catch up with U.S. Senator uh, Gary Peters, a Democrat from here in Michigan, who joins us on the show occasionally to talk about what is going on in Washington. Senator, welcome back to Detroit Today. Well, it's always great to be with you, Stephen, yes. and uh, happy holidays to uh, you. Uh, same to you, sir. Uh, a lot going on, of course. Uh, we just got done with a big national election, and I think everyone is sort of sitting back at this point and scratching their heads a little bit, wondering what exactly will the Trump administration look like when it debuts after January 20th? Um, I don't know that I've ever seen a transition uh, from one president to another look like what we have seen so far from uh, the president-elect. Uh, I'm wondering if from your seat things seem as different or perhaps chaotic uh, as they seem from mine. Well, probably uh, both of those uh, factors <laughs> as uh, we're watching it. Uh, you know, obviously a lot. Uh, uh, we are waiting to see where the Trump administration goes on a lot of issues uh, as uh, Donald Trump campaigned for the president. Uh, he was uh, long on rhetoric and short on ideas and facts about how he would actually deal with uh, some of these issues. So it's uh, somewhat open as to where he will go. So the only, the only kind of glimpse we have at that are the people that he is appointing to these various cabinet positions. And, and uh, it, it appears as if many of the folks that he's Appointing to these positions uh, don't really care much uh, about the mission of those organizations uh, that he is uh, putting in charge. So uh, that is troubling. Uh, I think we're going to know more as we get into the process. As you know, these uh, nominees have to come before the Senate. We'll sure. be having hearings, so there'll be an opportunity to ask questions, uh, probe uh, ideas uh, that these candidates have uh, for the department that they're going to that they would like to uh, to head up. And it's going to be important for the American people to take a real good look at who these individuals are and what they're going to do. But uh, I mean, it's, I, uh, it's I, certainly concerning on a number of fronts. I, I tend to think that, uh, and, and I'm pretty sure that this was the intent of the founders, that um, the cabinet appointments deserve a lot of deference from from the Senate. The Senate is there to, to confirm, to give its consent for those nominees. But really, outside the question of qualification, yeah, this is pretty much a presidential prerogative. At the same time, I think the hearings that, uh, that the Senate holds for nominees maybe have never had more importance uh, before than they will have now. I mean, asking some of these nominees who have no no obvious experience uh, in the areas where they have been nominated. I'm thinking, for instance, of Ben Carson, uh, a very accomplished surgeon who has been nominated to, to head up uh, 
the Department of Housing and Urban Urban uh, Development. Um, you know, the, the hearings are where you, I guess, maybe the only place we'll get a glimpse at what it is that this person uh, knows about that department uh, and, and how they might manage uh, that department. And and I can't think of that as being, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I cover uh, politics and Washington and, and things like that. I've done that for a long time. I can't ever remember really watching all that closely uh, nominee hearings uh, uh, in, uh, in a new administration. I think I'll watch almost every minute uh, of, of these just to get a sense of what is what what what's really going on yeah i uh, i agree i think these are going to be uh, be watched uh, by many many folks uh, because as you said in the past that it may have been about qualifications and normally folks who are put uh, into these positions have pretty extensive qualifications and they usually have uh, a track record uh, on these issues and so certainly there are some of those nominees that are being nominated but there are many others that don't fit into that category so uh, the hearings are important, and it, and it also looks as if uh, some of those folks who do have a track record are pretty dramatically uh, opposed to sure. some of the main missions. You know, I, I think of the gentleman for the uh, EPA, for example, who has uh, a very long record of being anti-environment, mm-hmm. uh, anti-EPA, and now uh, he has uh, been nominated to head that agency. So uh, we, we need to get a better sense of really where he and others want to take their respective agencies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Gary Peters, a Democratic uh, senator from here in the state of Michigan. We are talking about uh, the year in review, 2016, and the year ahead, 2017. A new presidential administration will be sworn in January 20th. Uh, what can we expect from that administration, and what can we expect from the relationship uh, that administration will have with Congress and the Senate in particular. Uh, You want to join the conversation, ask the senator a question, uh, talk about what you think of what we've seen so far from the president-elect. 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work your comments into the conversation, uh, Senator. I'm, I'm I'm wondering for Democrats uh, who still have uh, who still make up a minority of the Senate, but but a, it's a it's a pretty substantial minority. Uh, if the 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 prospect of blocking nominees or trying to block nominees is being is is being discussed, I mean, it's something we haven't seen. Too frequently in our history, but it happens from time to time. I would imagine that uh, there are there are lots of questions uh, surrounding you know enough of the nominees here that 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 prospect may be uh, in the offing. Technically, you only need three, I think, three Republican votes uh, with all of the Democrats to be able to say no to 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 one or more of these nominees. So that's not. Not that high of a not that high of a hurdle. Is that some of the the talk that we are starting to to hear on Capitol Hill? Well, it's uh, it is a, a different hurdle than we've had in the past, as you know. The nominees used to be subjected to a possible filibuster, so you right. needed sixty votes, and the minority party had a um, whichever party was in the minority at the time had a much larger say as to who the nominees were and. Uh, that has been changed. Uh, you only need a simple uh, majority. Uh, so you, we do need, uh, and you can't tie because uh, the president has the tie-breaking vote, vote uh, with the vice president, so you need uh, three Republicans. So 
you know, I think uh, whether or not that will happen for nominees uh, is uh, yet to be seen. I suspect it will be on a very limited case if it happens uh, at all. Uh, so we certainly need to kind of uh, sort through the nominees and, and the ones that we have particular objection to for our broad policy reasons and, and ways that I think we can find some objection on a bipartisan way. We're certainly going to try to seek that out, and there may be some candidates who are in that category. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see in the end uh, what I have seen from the Republican caucus is they tend to vote as a block, and it's difficult to get dissension, even if uh, they may uh, use some rhetoric prior to the vote. It doesn't necessarily sure. translate when the votes are actually counted. Yeah. Uh, what about the, the stories that we've seen this week about uh, Russian interference in the U.S. election? I'm curious uh, what your reaction is to uh, the allegations that are being made and uh, to the idea of a congressional investigation. How how likely are we to see that unfold without uh, the sort of political uh, interference, uh, you know, uh, that, that that's being that's being threatened? Well, it has to be addressed. I mean, to me, it is absolutely outrageous uh, that we have a foreign government uh, as active as it appears that uh, the Russians were in our election. Uh, the uh, the evidence uh, that's coming out of the intelligence agencies uh, is, uh, looks pretty clear. Uh, as you know, we saw the, the recent uh, comment uh, that uh, it's likely that Mr. Putin directly authorized this, actually may have been involved in some of the strategies. So it it is at the various highest levels of the Russian government, which we always uh, uh, always uh, expected to be the case, given the closed nature of that government, that things don't happen without the folks at the top directing it. And, and the evidence seems uh, clear to point to Mr. Putin. So to have the involvement uh, of a country like uh, Russia involved uh, in our politics is not only uh, a threat to our national sovereignty, it's also a threat to our national security. So this, this is something that we need to look into. Uh, I've called with a number of my colleagues uh, for a national intelligence estimate, which uh, is an official document pulling together all of the intelligence agencies of the United States government to do uh, an analysis of what happened and to the extent of it. And then we're hoping uh, as a result of that, we can have public comments uh, that can come out to summarize some of that. So there's full transparency for the American people. So the American people understand the extent uh, of uh, that uh, intervention in our system. And then as a result of that, uh, we need to take very strong and very significant action against uh, the Russians uh, if uh, that is indeed the case, that they were involved, which it certainly appears to be the case. I'm pretty curious about the idea of taking action in response. What what might that look like? What what could we do as a response to, to something like that? Well, I mean, you can have uh, other types of cyber activity that we could have counteractions, or you could uh, impose sanctions against uh, activities. I mean, the world community needs to step up together, and this is where even economic sanctions and other things could be imposed. It, uh, it is, uh, we know the Russians were involved in, in the elections in Ukraine. Uh, I was in Estonia this summer. The Estonians talked about Russian uh, cyber attacks in their country. I know the Germans are concerned about what could happen with their election that's coming up. The world community simply cannot tolerate an actor like Russia uh, involved in their internal democratic uh, processes. And the world community, we have to come together and say, you know, enough's enough. You can always have countermeasures for cyber and trying to protect your networks. But if, uh, if actors think there are no repercussions for their actions, it's pretty tough to stop it, especially with technology advancing at the rate it is. It's 
very tough to have uh, cyber countermeasures uh, when you have a skilled adversary that's very adaptive. So really, the, you have to have a hammer, and you have to say, we will not tolerate this anymore. We will take very tough, significant actions, even if it means uh, strong economic sanctions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation with Gary Peters, U.S. Senator from here in Michigan. 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, and go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Myrna in Ypsilanti. Myrna, welcome to Detroit Today. Um, hello. I don't know if you could hear me because yep. I can hardly hear you. Oh, sorry. I'm, I, I hear you just fine. Oh, okay, good. All right, well, um, thank you, Senator Peters, for being on the show. Um, I call your office a lot to give my opinion. And um, at the beginning of your show right now, you said, uh, somebody said something about giving deference to the president's nominees. And I say, oh, yes, is that the same kind of deference the Republicans gave President Obama when he wanted to fill a Supreme Court vacancy from last February, I think, when Justice Scalia died? And the other thing I wanted to say is that I want to see the Democrats stand up to the Republicans. I'm really tired of the Democrats trying to play nice while the Republicans are doing whatever they can to win, whether it's legal, ethical or not. Yeah. Myrna, thanks very much uh, for calling and and raising that issue. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, Senator Peters, this is something that I am seeing increasingly in uh, my Facebook feed and Twitter uh, is is this idea that the Democrats, um, you know, the Democrats often try to take the high road and and don't play in the sort of margins of acceptable behavior to get to advance their agenda, while the Republicans don't seem to have a problem with that. And I think uh, the the nomination of Merrick Garland to be uh, on the Supreme Court is a, is a really great example. I mean, uh, the idea that uh, a presidential nominee can't get a hearing even because it's the year before the year of, a, of an election. I mean, this is an entirely invented uh, narrative. Uh, and nonetheless, uh, they were allowed to get away with that. Um, sh- should the Democrats in, you know, indulge more aggressive uh, use of uh, their power than than they do to counter what uh, what Republicans seem very comfortable uh, doing on their own. Well, uh, certainly we uh, need to be very aggressive, and we will be aggressive. And I think we have been, even when it came to the uh, the, the nomination of Merrick Garland. I mean, we were very outspoken, uh, uh, constantly talked about on the floor, constantly talked about this as. Uh, the abdication of, uh, of the responsibility of the United States Senate to do its job, that the Constitution is very clear that this is a requirement not only of the president to nominate, but of the Senate to advise and consent and to have uh, those hearings. I'd say the, the frustrating part about this is that ultimately uh, the check on all of this behavior resides with the American people. It's about elections, and we have an election, and uh, some of the behaviors that we have seen from the Republicans, uh, which without question are are uh, ones that uh, I do not support and aggressively have pushed back against, and in the case of the Supreme Court nomination, was clearly against what the United States Constitution dictates, and yet they were not punished at the polls for it. Uh, we have to get the American people engaged to understand that uh, elections do matter, and by putting in folks uh, that harbor these views, uh, we are actually eroding some of our basic democratic institutions that are so important that we cannot take for granted. But 
it's uh, this is a shared responsibility not only with Democratic leaders who will continue to raise these issues, but we've got to see the American people stepping up and voting accordingly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before I let you go, I want to make sure I talk to you about uh, Flint. We saw last week Congress uh, finally approve money to help the city of Flint in the wake of the water crisis there. You played a big role in the in the Senate debate over that all year. Um, talk about how important that is and what we will see happen in the city of Flint uh, as a result. Well, it's uh, it was uh, wonderful to finally get this done. That uh, should have uh, occurred uh, a long time ago, and it was actually part of the difficulty of getting this through a Republican-controlled uh, Congress, both in the Senate uh, and in the House. But it is finally done. Uh, we will be uh, in a position to provide a hundred million dollars of money for infrastructure improvement uh, for the city of Flint. Uh, the city of Flint uh, needs to replace pipes. You need to pull them out of the lead service lines. Uh, uh, as well as some changes to the basic configuration of the water system, which is too large and uh, means uh, that water doesn't move efficiently and also can cause problems uh, as a result of that. Uh, so $100 million is a, an important step. Uh, I won't say that it's likely to be a, a larger price tag than that. Some estimate it could be around 200 or more million. So it's now up to the state of Michigan, who are the ones primarily responsible for the crisis in Flint, need to step up and provide the additional resources. But this is certainly a significant step forward, uh, and construction can begin um, immediately uh, soon after a plan has been put in place and approved by the EPA. So in addition to $100 million there, there's also going to be $20 million in debt relief and up to $50 million in a number of health programs that the city of Flint will be able to access. One of those, and one which Dr. Mona, who's been a incredible champion for the people of Flint uh, has pushed for and as part of this package will create a registry where we can follow and track uh, the children and residents of Flint uh, throughout uh, their lives Uh, and as a result of that tracking can also be uh, more effective in making sure that they get the kind of help necessary whether it's nutrition health uh, or education Uh, but in order to do that it'll also require some additional resources from the state of Michigan which is why it's important for them to really create a long-term fund to understand that this problem will not go away in the next few years. This is a decades-long problem. Sure, sure. Uh, Let's go to Don in Novi. Don, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh I just wanted to make a quick comment and get uh, Senator Peters' reaction to uh, the previous caller and uh, you, the host, saying that the Democrats usually play nice. I just don't find that to be true, especially with Senator Harry Reid lying on the Senate floor about Mitt Romney's taxes and all his other evil ways. If I could get uh, well, Senator well, Peters' comment well, Don, about Don, I uh, think before before we get to the senator, um, I, I think what I was talking about was was that uh, what you see from the Republican Party is a leveraging of power, even in some cases minority power, uh, to stop the democratic process. So, for instance. Uh, in in the in the case of Merrick Garland, the, the the nominee for the Supreme Court, there was an entirely invented narrative by the Republican Party about why you could not confirm a Supreme Court nominee in an election year. Now that's never been the case. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that. Uh, it's happened before, uh, not recently, but but it has happened before. Uh, can you think of a similar a similar action by Democrats? To do something uh, like that? 
Well, no, but they're they're perfectly within their rights to do what they did. It's not like they uh, they lied about it or anything. They said what they well, were going to do, and they it did was it. A, well, but it was a lie. I mean, the, the the justification for it was a lie. Right. I, I don't see it that way, and I think you're just okay. looking at it from your from your political stance. So tell me from your political stance how it's okay to 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 block a Supreme Court nominee for a political reason to to say well, that. I mean, they fight for their nominees that they want to see put in, uh, just as the Democrats fight for their nominees and try to block uh, the nominees. Uh, The stuff they did to Clarence Thomas, I don't think was was right. And uh, Clarence Thomas is a member of the Supreme Court. Pardon me. Yes, he is a member of the Supreme Court. Yeah, because he was confirmed. Republicans fought for him. Yes, and he was confirmed. That's true. Okay, I appreciate the call, Don. No, uh, I appreciate the call and the thoughts. Uh, Senator Peters, do you have a, a response to that? Well, in, in uh, relation to this, I mean, it is about uh, fighting for your nominee, but if you never have the chance to fight because you never have the hearings, so that's uh, what uh, the Republicans did, is uh, said we are not even going to have a hearing. There, there would have to be a vote, and people would have to vote yes, and they would have to vote no, and it would certainly be a hurdle for uh, any nominee uh, uh, with the Republican control of, of the Senate. But the Constitution is very clear that you have a process by which uh, you have hearings, that you have the opportunity to have the debate on the, on the Senate floor. To not even allow the minority party to have a debate on the floor shuts down the basic tenets uh, of democracy, where you can have, a, can have that vigorous uh, back and forth. But if you're not given the opportunity to do it, Democracy suffers um, uh, in the in the process and in a in a strong way, and I think it's important to remember in the Supreme Court. Uh, you mentioned it's happened before. Ronald Reagan was able to uh, appoint, uh, yes. nominate, and get appointed Supreme Court justice uh, in election year, and now uh, that we have gone through this opening uh, in the Supreme Court uh, in an unprecedented way, and now we'll have to wait for a new nominee to go through the process. The only time we've had a vacancy this long in the United States uh, Supreme Court uh, was during the American Civil War. The Civil War that, yeah. That's not a good precedent. Uh, that shows a very dysfunctional time of American government when we are back to the days of the Civil War when uh, we were on the battlefield uh, shooting at each other. That should not be the, the bar. We need to set a much higher bar for civil discourse, allow the debate to go forward, allow both parties to vigorously fight for candidates that they like or dislike, but we have to have that debate, and to shut down the debate is about uh, as, undemo- as undemocratic as you can be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Senator Peters, Senator Gary Peters of uh, Michigan, thank you very much for being here on Detroit Today. Great to be with you, Stephen. Uh, again, happy holidays to you and uh, all your listeners. Absolutely. You too. And we'll catch up with you in the new year. All right. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about what the year in Detroit looked like and what the year ahead in Detroit might look like with City Councilman James Tate. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 